Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. This episode is brought to you by Before, an incredible new self-care brand that just launched their first products, a line of purifying toothpastes. I'm obsessive about my teeth and brush them usually three times a day, so I'm super excited to be using Before. It ticks off many boxes of what a good toothpaste should be. Their custom supermint flavor actually tastes really good, and the consistency is silky, and at the same time, it doesn't leak out of the tube, which is a total pet peeve of mine. It's also non-abrasive, so it doesn't destroy your tooth enamel. All the harmful ingredients have been replaced by clean alternatives, and their custom blend of fluoride and dentist-approved ingredients totally promotes optimal mouth health. Before also deeply cares about our planet. Their tubes are made from 100% recyclable plant-based sugarcane and creates 50% less carbon footprint than traditional toothpaste tubes. As you all can tell from the show, I'm a huge fan of good, purposeful design, and let me tell you, the design and color palette of these are beautiful. The tube stands upright on your counter and makes your bathroom look minimal and chic. Visit their website, before.com, and enter the code CRAFT10, C-R-A-F-T-1-0, to receive 10% off your entire purchase. One-time use per customer. I'm a huge fan of what they stand for. You won't be sorry, and your teeth and the planet will thank you. As a number of you know, I'm also a certified sound therapy practitioner and founder of Oto Healing, a sound therapy studio and practice. Sound has been a healing modality through many cultures for thousands of years. Oto's approach to sound is rooted in both art and science, the art being the history of sound, the science being quantum physics, biology, brainwave states, and more. All listeners of the show get 15% off their first private one-hour session. Visit otohealing.com to book yours now. Rihanna Evoy has a playful spirit and imagination that just can't be replicated or replaced. Her life and work are beautiful reflections of being born creative and free. She co-founded Butter Magazine with her friend Chris Blizzard, was an art director of En Route Magazine, creative director of Allo Shoes and then Kitten Ace, and is now co-founder of creative studio Super Bonjour. She was born in Ontario, but the family moved to Vancouver. Her young and fun parents were fans of the show The Beachcombers and wanted to go west as a result. Until she was 18, Rihanna flew back to Ontario to spend summers with her Ukrainian grandparents on an organic farm outside of a small town, wearing babushkas and clogs to churn butter, farm, beekeep, build sheds, climb trees, spend time with animals, and break bread with neighbors. As a teen, she was shy and quiet, but art was an avenue for expression. She painted apples purple, drew complete fashion collections, and was obsessed with print magazines. Despite her artistic leanings, she went into science at university and floundered. She finally made a change after a conversation with her mother, who asked Rihanna what brought her joy and pointed out that she was an artist at heart. She then switched into art history with a minor in fine art. Her goal at the time was to become a curator. Interestingly enough, it was discovering Starbucks that piqued her interest in design, and it was then that she fell in love with branding. In this conversation, We explore her culturally rich childhood, 
what she loves about curation and world building, the things she learned creating a print magazine, her chapter as creative director at Aldo and working with top photographers like Cass Bird and Tim Barber, how major shoots for brands are orchestrated, the way spirituality, meditation, and breathwork helps her channel creativity, how Super Bonjour finds what makes clients shine, living joyously as connected humans in a capitalist world, and much more. Please enjoy this wonderful exploration of life, work, and one's own soul with this extraordinary human and dear friend, Rihanna Evoy. Rihanna Evoy, welcome to the craft. Thank you, May. I'm so excited to be here and honored. I'm so, so excited to have you here. How are you feeling? Uh, Truthfully, extremely nervous and vulnerable. Um, I had to do a little meditation before arriving, but mostly it's because I am a very visual person. I speak with my hands, I draw, I see things in colors and shapes, so words and articulation are always a little bit more out of my reach. So I'm hoping that people can actually hear and uh, understand what I'm saying without having to draw a photo or a picture or uh, use my hands to explain things. Oh, you're great. You're going to do amazing. Let's go back in time. Ontario. Oh, God. (laughs) The dirty secret. Yeah, the dirty secret. (laughs) She was born in Ontario, guys. I am. It's not for me. People know this, but uh, I was born in Ontario. And my parents moved to uh, British Columbia because they loved Beachcombers, the TV show. No. For real. So uh, family loved Beachcombers. So we decided to pack our things up and move to Vancouver when I was a little child. And uh, so, I, I mean, I was in Vancouver for the majority of my life, but I did have deep roots in Ontario as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd go back and you'd spend summers with your grandparents. I did. Absolutely. That was a wonderful time for me. So when I was a child, my parents didn't have the resources for uh, childcare. So what they would do craftily is throw me on an airplane and send me back east. So I was pretty much bi-coastal. So I'd spend my summers with my mother's family and I would spend the rest of the, the rest of the year with my parents in mm. Vancouver. Mm-hmm. I know. And you were, I, we were talking the other day and you were just describing your time with your grandparents and they're from the Ukraine. So they're Ukrainian immigrants or That's they right, were. Yeah. And it was a very kind of homesteady, pioneering <laughs> summer childhood you had. Absolutely. Like turning butter. Yeah. A lot of turning butter. So it was such a huge contrast from living in the city in Vancouver. So I grew up in North Vancouver particularly. But in Ontario, what I would do is I, I would arrive um, my grandparents would pick me up, probably get lost somewhere in Toronto because we didn't know how to get back to the farm. <laughs> um, I get to the farm and then suddenly I was transported to uh, the Ukraine post-war. <laughs> so it was a completely different experience for me. At that time we would do, they lived on a huge organic farm. It was 30 acres outside of a small town called London, Ontario. Uh, the town was called Glanworth, population probably four. And what we would do would be we would be one with the earth. We would farm, we would beekeep, we would like play with rabbits. I would just completely immerse myself in nature and I was completely free. Climbing trees, sleeping in uh, apple trees at night, being terrified because I was sleeping in the apple tree at night and then (laughs) chasing turkeys. It was just wearing babushkas. Oh yeah, wearing babushkas. (laughs) That was also part of it. Uh, Wooden clogs. I, I didn't even dress like 
the rest of the kids. I was completely immersed with like embroidered blouses that my grandmother would give me. And everything was very, very rich and vibrant in terms of like the textures and the patterns and colors, the food. It was complete. It was just like we, we made everything. You know, mm. we like we we built the sheds. We uh, harvested the honey. We wore babushkas, got our hands dirty in the dirt. Uh, create we would have like huge moments where the whole entire family would come together and it'd be like the harvesting of uh, sweet peas for example and so we would pick all the peas and then shell the peas and then freeze the peas and then can the peas and it was a completely different upbringing for me it was very vibrant it was very uh, culturally rich we had a lot of uh, like feasts I guess you could say. So there was like always a Sunday feast where uh, the rest of the community, the Ukrainian community would come to my grandparents' farm and we would break bread and mm. it was boisterous with crazy music playing and everyone was speaking Ukrainian, never knew what the hell was going on, but it was so much fun. Mm. And we would eat until we were full and then pass out and then repeat. <laughs> so it was a completely different upbringing. Like that's how my childhood was formed. I, I did that until I was around 18 um, and then I was like, peace, let's, let's get out of here. <laughs> let's go to see other parts of the world. But uh, it was really instrumental to my upbringing and really being in touch with my heritage, which was a wonderful and fortunate and fortunate thing to have. Yeah. And I, I remember you saying too, that freedom and being able to be free and wild oh is so important to you. So <laughs> yeah. having that kind of summer yeah. every year would be just so nurturing for who you are. Absolutely. I mean, I think all the other kids were going to summer camps like Elphinstone or whatever it was called, but I would be in the farm and free, completely free. Yeah. 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 That's a huge uh, narrative for me as well as an adult too, mm. like searching for that. Hmm. I'm so curious about this feast you speak of just because I love food. Oh my gosh. So what would the table spread be like? It would be outrageous. So my grandparents would have a, a huge table and it would be covered with all these gorgeous tablecloths and tapestries that were Ukrainian and, and beautifully embroidered. Then it would just be covered with food from pickled beets, uh, beautiful cans of wild uh, sour cherries. Uh, there would be... Everything would be covered in dill, pungent garlic. Uh, of course, there'd be pierogies. And of course, there would be cabbage rolls, which are called halopchi, by the way, <laughs> just in <laughs> case you want to know. Uh, beautiful, like like the grandparents would, uh, you know, we lived off all the vegetables and animals on the farm too. So we would, you know, probably kill a turkey or a rabbit for the occasion as well. And we would eat that. Uh, with everyone involved, make our own bread. My grandfather made wine, which was extremely strong and natural and beautiful. And uh, it would just be like covered in food and everybody would hang out and talk about everything. I honestly didn't know what was going on. I just ate all the food and was super happy. <laughs> but food was, was love. You know? yeah. Our family food was love. And mm. it was a really beautiful experience. Mm. God, I just love that. I love breaking bread with friends and and family mm -hmm. and just it's such an it's such an intimate time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, even if the party's big, like if you're sitting around a table, no, it, it still has that feeling of like, oh yeah, I'm here with you. Absolutely, and it was a generosity. It was a giving back. Like that was the feeling. It was everybody coming together and incorporating the food that they would bring as well 
talking about stories, sharing stories. It was a, a complete love fest. That's mm. what the feeling was. It was not fussy. There was no etiquette. Uh, <laughs> people didn't know which fork to use. It was just boisterous and loud and full of love Ugh, and delicious so and nurturing. It was wonderful. What a memory. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure that memory has just so many, like, um, like all of your senses would be triggered like the smell like what you're seeing like what you're hearing oh yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely it was a complete and utter contrast from other families and um you know it was just so grateful that I got to experience that and yeah I think it did shape a lot of the things that um I gravitate towards so like the sensory aspect of it the smells you're right um how people feel in a space. Those sorts of things are really important to me. And I could see how everyone was fully engaged and fully in love. Mm. And it was all the things that were put together at that meal that made people feel good about themselves and welcomed. And I think that was really a huge, um, that was very instrumental for me. Mm. And I think that that thread is seen throughout my work and how I, how I live now. Yeah, I think it's seen in your personality. I mean, like that you have that you do. You oh, do man. have this like warmth to you. You do have this like fun, you know, nature to you that is just like it's very really playful. yeah, it's playful. It's it's magnetic. So yeah, I could I could see how that be that would be a thread. Um, I'd love to lo- know more about your mom and dad and oh, what they parents. were like. They're yeah, so sweet. Oh, my parents are so lovely. Um, they had me very young, so I was lucky to have a very young um, mom and dad who were extremely cool. My mom was so cool. <laughs> She's still so cool. So she was a hairstylist, and she worked for a super fancy salon in, in Ontario. And then when she moved to BC, she uh, I think she worked in West Vancouver at the time. And my father was an electrician and then a, a police officer in the canine department. A whole other story. We had a police dog living in our house. Complicated. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you could not bring drugs into my house <laughs> or skateboards, which is probably why I was so straight. And um, <laughs> yeah, so that was fun. And then my dad ended up leaving the force and working for uh, a yacht broker. Um, but they were, uh, my mom was very young and cool so we would you know do really fun things like listen to David Bowie or George Michael and dance in the living room and have a ton of fun she was so trendy and had the coolest hair and would give me the coolest haircut like (laughs) really awesome like the mixed squeeb in the 80s Uh, we would go shopping and buy like cool pink spandex in the 80s like we were she was so much fun and my dad was a very lovable a uh, very generous, caring man. So I grew up with a lot of love and uh, they were a really good role models for me as well. Mm. So they were very, they're still together. They're very much in love. They travel a lot. They live in Mexico in the winter. They're really, they really embrace life. Mm. And um, it was also ex- very fortunate to have them as parents. I was really lucky. Mm. Where do you think you get that that artistic side, the um, painting the apple purple, as you called it oh my in gosh. our last conversation? That's right. Yes. I used to paint uh, pears and apples purple, and my teacher would be like, that is not the right color, and I'd be like, use your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> what if it was? <laughs> Couldn't it be, though? Um, where did I get that from? 
I think that both my parents are actually quite creative and artistic, but didn't necessarily follow suit on that. So I think seeing my mother being a hairstylist, that was a creative job. It was more of, it's more of a service, but she was extremely creative around it. Her fashion sense was very creative, especially in the eighties. Shout out to shoulder pads. (laughs) And, um, she was really in tune with music. So we had a lot of records growing up. And I think that creativity was always there, but I don't think it was like outward, like she wasn't a painter or an artist per se. My father as well was also, uh, he used to take photos when we were, when I was very young. He was an excellent photographer. It was a hobby for him. But um, that again was like, the side gig. So it was always the side project. It wasn't like the project. So Mm. I think I got it from them, but I didn't think that I was, I didn't think it was possible at the time that that could be my life. So I did gravitate towards science and biology and more academics when I was younger and then realized I actually have a different place in this world and it's in creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me more about what you were like as a teenager. Oh man, teens. Um, I was very shy, um, very much uh, insecure, as all teenagers I think can be. And I was one. I kind. I guess I kind of had a lot of friends in many different groups, so I didn't have a clique, like a clique. I would move around from from group to group. Um, definitely shy. <laughs> Which is super weird because I certainly wasn't when I was a kid. That happened later in life where I became more like the good girl Mm. and studious. So I spent a lot of time studying and um, I still did a lot of art. So I was very much like drawing and painting in my house, my room, reading all those babysitter club books. Love that. Back (laughs) to front or front to back the other way because you know that's how you read (laughs) um really obsessed with magazines obsessed loved me a 17 magazine a ym a sassy Mm -hmm. my entire room was plastered with magazine swipes so i would tear them out of of a magazine and throw them right up on my wall so it would be covered with benetton ads and guess ads for some crazy reason a spree so I was very interested in fashion at the time I would be obsessed with fashion television I was obsessed with Jeannie Becker yes completely and I would really was interested in trends at the time so I didn't necessarily want it for me to look a certain way but I just was fascinated with the psychology around it which is kind of bizarre as a teenager but I was like what's up with this new trend? Like, why are we all wearing bell bottoms? And my mom used to wear bell bottoms and what's up with that? So I would like research it and dive into all the fashion books and trying to find out what was next. So curious. Mm. So I was quiet, but very deeply interested in fashion. Oh my gosh. You know, the other crazy thing I used to do, I forgot about this, was I used to draw um, like complete looks like outfits like a fashion designer would and I would build collections and I didn't know how to sew but I would just loved drawing and creating outfits or creating spaces where these outfits could live so even as a young girl as a teenager I was still really interested in that um I was very very good girl too (laughs) 
<laughs> right, mom? Yeah. So, so world building, it, sound, mm-hmm. it sounds like. And you and I were talking about how, because I was uh, the same as you. I loved fashion as well, and I yeah. loved magazines. And we were talking about how fashion is kind of this center of all these different things, like music and photography and art and design. It's kind of like this magnet for all of these really other interesting passions that one can have. Um, and that's why I loved it too. And also too, just to um, understand that you can understand history through fashion yeah, as absolutely. well. <clears throat> and through art too. Mm-hmm. Um, the context in which these were created, the works was created has always been fascinating for me. Um, it's interesting to think that, you know, what was the cultural context or zeitgeist at the time that made an artist choose to create a work has been, is always very interesting. And um, it's also really fascinating when you think of things that weren't created before. You often think that things have already been done. And when you look at the past, you're like, you mean nobody did a color field painting like a Rothko? Like, wow, like that was incredible. Or the Impressionists being completely sub, you know, subversive to what was already happening. So more religious figurative paintings, for example, and it was like a, a change. So it is interesting when you look at what was happening at the time and same with fashion. I don't have a deep history uh, knowledge of fashion per se, other than I just love it and it looks really cool (laughs) and I'm fascinated by it, but um, it is probably the same, same situation. It's, it's, you know, how people would want to express themselves at the time, what Mm -hmm. was important to them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And art actually became what you studied when you went to UVic. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I didn't study art right away. Um, I had a little bit of a, I was, you know, you're very young when you go to university and I was fortunate to go. And um, my grandfather, my Ukrainian grandfather was saved up a lot of money for me and was like, this is for you to go to school. You need to be educated. So it was a huge honor for me to be able to go to school. And it was very much a lot of pressure. So at the time I was like, I need to make this worth the effort that my grandparents did for me. So I'm going to go into science. (laughs) Let's study biology, right? Because I'm going to be a biologist, obviously. That made zero sense. But it did kind of make sense in the terms of it was like research. And I was very fascinated with with research. And so I did go into, uh, I was accepted to UVic and uh, into the science department. And I fumbled around that for a while thinking this was my future. (laughs) Maybe marine biology is probably like really into dolphins at the time. You know how it is. And um, at one point I was like, this doesn't feel like me at all. I know this isn't me. I'm feeling very much like a pressure to to do something that I don't want to do. And um, I, I was floundering a lot. So I would I had a conversation with my mom about it. And I was like, mom, like, I don't know, this isn't me. What do I do? And she was like, okay, let's, let's figure it out. So we had a, a conversation uh, around our past, my past as a child and what brought me joy. And what brought me joy was dancing around the living room to George Michael Freedom, (laughs) uh, playing the drums to Phil Collins in the air tonight, (laughs) obviously, painting, drawing, you know, collecting flowers, being free. And she was like, you're an artist, sweetheart, like follow your heart. Mm. So at that point, I said, you know what? You're right, mom. And it was really difficult to, to have that conversation with her. I was really nervous because I was worried I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. 
and I didn't know what types of what art meant in terms of a career. I, I wasn't sure. Like I, I only knew that you could paint and sell paintings. Was that it? And I didn't know about what I do currently. I didn't even realize that there was art directors and creative directors and photographers who make a living out of it. So I said, I'm going into art history. So I studied that with a minor in fine arts. So that's where that happened. So I did a little switcheroo halfway through and it was well worth it. And it felt like, oh, these are my people. I know what I'm doing now. I'm feeling very confident. I'm just, it was so um, insatiable, like the appetite towards art. And I felt very much seen and and I felt like I had a a community at that point. Yeah. Mm, So wonderful that your your mom helped you just kind of hone in and, and, say like listen sweetheart you're an artist that's um that's incredible Mm -hmm. that there wasn't that pressure from her that she just wanted you to be expressive and and joyful I know and my mom also was really crafty um she had a lot of clientele that were um just a wide breadth of different occupations and one of her clients was a life coach and I think at that point my mom had a conversation with her and they discussed me (laughs) in a very awesome way. And that's how that happened too. So my mother was like able to reach out to people to be like, you know, how do we, how do we make our, our little girl, you know, follow the path that she needs to follow? And and what, what are the steps that I can do to make that happen? So Mm. she was very resourceful as well. Oh, that's so great. And it was when you, you got interested in linear art that, you know, you started to see that there were other things that you could do within this realm of art and mm-hmm. but more particularly in design mm-hmm. yeah that's so true um when I was at UVic the the goal was to be a curator I wanted to work um within the fine art space as a curator so I love the idea of looking at art and bringing collections together I love that um again that's another theme right it's like picking out things curatorials uh curatorial lens and bringing things together like a director so I was totally on that path and then when I was taking fine arts like drawing and painting I was super into using my ruler lining things up I was really interested in type I was really interested in uh, interested in photography and bringing those together I didn't I knew that there was graphic design. I understood that that was an occupation, but I didn't know that there was also an art director or a creative director role. I didn't understand that that was even an option. So basically what I did was I, again, went to my mother and was like, hey, mom, there's all this cool other things I can do. Like there's this graphic design and there's art direction. She's like, okay, let me hook you up. So she, again, um, allowed me to uh, meet with one of her clients who happened to be an art director for a magazine. And we met and we talked about that. And then it was like a total light bulb went off. And I'm like, oh my God, I love (laughs) magazines. I've always loved magazines. Check out my wall from when I was 18 with my Benetton ads. I love photography. I love making worlds. I love all this. What is this? And at that point, I realized that I really wanted to go into design. But also there was another really instrumental part. This is cool. I'm going to keep talking, right? Yeah, <laughs> this is a podcast yeah. after all. I love all. it. But at the time it was, oh gosh, like we're talking late 90s, okay? That's how old I am. And 
Starbucks had just arrived in Seattle and it was starting to um, populate throughout North America. So we had a Starbucks and it was the first time that we ever had, like, I remember specifically thinking, what the hell is Starbucks and why do all the Starbucks look the same and what's up with this logo? And when you go in, everyone's playing smooth jazz. (laughs) It doesn't matter which Starbucks you're in. It all tastes the same who made this and why is it like like what is this and I didn't realize that it was the magic of branding right which is so naive at the time but it was blew my mind and I'm like I want to do that I want to make those worlds but like you know better (laughs) obviously (laughs) obviously right so that's when I was interested in design so I went back to school right away and um, I didn't want to go to another university that needed another four years of education. I really wanted to learn publishing. I really wanted to learn graphic design and understand the tools. So then I went to Langara for a year and studied design and publishing, specifically magazine publishing. And then you made a magazine. And then I made a magazine. Butter magazine, which you know I, I know, I remember reading it. And <laughs> when you told me the other day that you created it, it just like blew my mind. Yeah, I mean, I don't, it is, oh, wow, that was such a fun time for me. My goodness. So when I was in Langara, I met a wonderful friend who is still one of my dear friends, Chris Blizzard. We both were studying publishing. When we graduated, um, we knew we wanted to work in magazines and we lived in Vancouver and it was pretty limited to what we could do and where we could go. And I believe we were probably at the sugar refinery uh, eating pierogies and beer <laughs> and and thinking, you know, we can do this, right? Like we can totally make our own magazine, right? And we did. And that was the, that was a real experience in school for me because we were very naive. I probably would never make a magazine on my own now, knowing how expensive and time consuming it is. But, um, you know, You do crazy things when you're in your 20s, so that's what we did. And Chris and I spent about four, maybe even five years doing a quarterly publication. And we had also an editor named Ryan Roddy, and we had tons of cool contributors like Kamel Harris and Candace Meyer and the late Gregory Crow. We just were so young and ready to create community around creativity and photography, and that's how we did it. Mm. With the generosity of the community, truly, because it wasn't a money-making adventure. It was really about expression and craft. Yeah. But you did have to learn how to do ad sales, too. Well, kind of. But Chris (laughs) was probably better at that than me. I was more um, behind the scenes, I suppose. But Chris did go out and find ads through with Adidas or even database. So good. Yeah. Good old database. Good old database. um, Mel Rich's coffee shop, like whatever we could do, whatever we could muster up just to get a little bit of cash to pay for printing, truly, because it was extremely expensive. Mm, it still is. Especially being, you know, <laughs> young and living at home and like who has that, right? Yeah. So we did our best. Was this, so was Butter before Ion came around? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you were, I was like, I think you were before that. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were, we were really inspired by Vice magazine, truly because they were a free publication. They were distributed across North America at the time. And we thought, well, why don't we just try that? And so we did. Mm. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure we're before Ion. Yeah. 
Well, and then you stayed in magazines because then you moved to Montreal and joined En Route That's as right. an art director. Da, 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 da. How the hell did that happen? <laughs> how the hell did I it mean, happen? I know how it happened. <laughs> Tell <but> us. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was a good time. So I ended up moving to Montreal and I ended up staying there for a decade, which is a really, really, really rich and amazing experience for me. I think what ended up happening was I was working in advertising and design at the time at some local agencies here in Vancouver. My art director knew that I loved magazines and he found an ad in, I don't know, like the National Post or something that said En Route was looking for an art director. And he said, you know, girl, you got to apply. Oh my gosh, I'm never going to get it. How could I possibly get it? I'm just so young. I hardly have any experience. He's like, no, girl, you're going to get it. Go for it. So I put together my portfolio and sent it to them and they hired me. And I think they hired me because of butter and because of all the like ingenuity and complete and utter. I was just so tenacious and excited and curious as a young, um, a young designer that I think that they, they just were like, let's, let's give this girl a try. So I packed my bags within a month and moved to Montreal and completely immersed myself in an actual real magazine. It was such a dream come true for me. Completely, complete dream come true. So what did you, what did you take out of that experience? Like that first big magazine, it runs like a machine experience. Oh, yeah, no, it was like legit, right? So I was working in independent magazines and, and doing it however Chris and I were, you know, intuitively creating a magazine. And then we had to suddenly, I had to suddenly find myself in the real world of magazines, which was extremely high paced, very, very quick. Um, a ton of work, like we were working till midnight some days, just trying to make deadlines And it was really an amazing experience because it was very, very, very collaborative. So you're working with editors and writers, illustrators, copy editors, proofreaders, fact checkers. This whole entire team is coming together to create this one book for readers. And we put so much love and integrity into the work. And it was a really wonderful experience to see that collaboration come together. And it really honed in my skills for uh, storytelling. So what would end up happening is we got really deeply involved with the editorial lineup, even as a creative director, or excuse me, I was the art director at the time, we could, um, we were involved. So what were the stories? What was the lineup? Then we would read all the stories and interpret them artistically. So taking the words and then creating the visuals that would correspond with the, with the words And that was just so much fun because the sky was the limit and we could change the design and we would change the grid and we would change the typography, uh, learn ways in which to engage the reader through type, through imagery, get excitement out of that, create stories through visual expression. So it was a beautiful experience for me. Um, oh my gosh, like the things I got to do, like just unbelievable. The people I got to meet, places I got to travel to. I still can't believe it happened. And it was such a prime time because magazines were still vibrant and still very much uh, a legitimate occupation. They're not, print is, is, is harder right now at this point. It's more digital. So I just was so grateful to have that experience before 
you know, things changed, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, you were young and you were hungry and like oh, you had young. like the, the energy. <laughs> um, but then you went to Australia because Australia called. Oh, yeah, that's true. I did. So I think there's always this moment where um, as a creative, you there's a lot of like it's very physical and mental work and um you know the capacity to create is is very high and and uh, companies want you to keep contributing keep giving and at some point i think you have to stop and refill your cup um so that you're inspired again to create more awesome work and at that point i was thinking i think it's time to fill the cup and I had this premonition to go to Australia. And so I just did that. It was 2010. And I left my job. Again, so naive and so young. Like I would never do this right now. I was like, yep, I'm out. See you later. going to leave my dream job and I'm just going to go to Australia. Peace. <laughs> and my intention was to stay there. And I loved it. I fell in love with that country. Holy smokes. It was just so beautiful and warm and had all the things that I crave in life. Um, so I did that. But uh, that didn't, uh, I was only there for a short period of time because I ran out of money. <laughs> Let's face it. But then you got a fateful oh my reach gosh. out. I sure did. So um, here I am thinking about like, what am I going to do in Australia? I have $1.50 in my bank account. Um, maybe I should go look for a job. Like there was such a vibrant magazine at culture. In, in Australia at the time, there's Oyster Magazine and Rush Magazine. I was really gravitating towards those. But then it was like also a beach. So <laughs> I chose beach life, <laughs> which like depleted my bank account pretty quick. And I was thinking, what am I going to do? And I got an email from a gentleman in Montreal who uh, was running the art department of Aldo, art department and marketing department. So the creative director of Aldo reached out to me and said, hey, hey girl. <laughs> hey girl, hey. <laughs> hey girl, hey. How would you like to work for us? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, do I want to go back to Montreal? Do I want to work for Aldo Shoes? Um, do I like shoes? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> I love them. And then, um, you know, I was hemming and hawing and then he was like, just to sweeten the deal, I'll fly you to New York and you can come on a photo shoot for our next campaign who is, uh, the, the excuse me, come to the campaign and um, work with the photographer we're working with who happened to be at the time, Terry Richardson. And, you know, why don't you just do that? Why don't you just come to New York and work with Terry Richardson? You're this like is, picking your jaw <laughs> off the floor. You're like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, okay, but this is like pre like controversy. Yes, of course. So. <laughs> pre me too. <laughs> pre me too. Didn't really know. Uh, very naive at the time again. <laughs> Naivety is apparently the like, thread of this conversation. Um, and I'm like, uh, well, I only have $1.50. Let's do it. Terry Richardson, New York. Absolutely. Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> so I did. And I flew back to Montreal and moved back to Montreal. And I remember going on set thinking, whoa, how did I get here? This was like that that song. What's that song? Um, oh, gosh, Talking Heads, you know? Mm. How did I get here? Anyways, <laughs> it was like that song. It was like, this is insane. Like, how did I wake up in the Barry Hotel going on set with Terry Richardson? 
when I was just hanging out on the beach, wondering, <laughs> contemplating life. With a dollar fifty in your bank account. <laughs> dollar fifty in my bank account. Thinking, wow, I'm really in trouble to to now being like offered this abundant opportunity to work with one of the best photographers at the time. And several after that. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Absolutely. I got to work with the most talented photographers, uh, Cass Bird. She is just exquisite as a human being. Holy smokes. Uh, Alistair McClelland, who shoots a lot for, at the time, ID Magazine. Yeah. Um, Tim Barber. Love this man so much. Love Shout out to Tim. Love his work. Man, yeah. He is one talented human and an absolute doll to work with. He's such a sweetheart. And who else did I work with? Oh, Matteo Matanari as well. Lots of big time uh, models too, which was very intimidating. It was so cool because you got to see the real true talents working and and work with them in a collaborative way it was just mind-blowing. Well, tell me about how a shoot like that at that level, how does it operate? Like, Could you give an example of you know, a shoot, nameless shoot that you did um, and how the orchestration of everything went? Mm -hmm. Or was it kind of like, it had to, it has to be systematic. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's definitely a formula. It is a formula with also the creativity intuition built in. So it is definitely a heavy lifting production. You definitely have a very seasoned producer that is helping to shape the structure of the shoot um it starts with a lot of a lot of research and conceptual development so you really have to be prepared finding out the right way to communicate to the team visually what you're trying to achieve so there's all this preamble there's a lot of work it's so much work it's months of work so it's not uh, it's not it's not a quick process um a lot of consideration with who you want to work with and that is even from talent to to vibe or to how people uh, are on set. And that's also a really big part of it. Um, choosing the right cast, choosing the right um, makeup, hair, stylist, like building these teams, the art buying of it is very considered. And you're choosing from everything from talent, diversity, uh attitude, creativity, because you're basically creating this big ass soup, right? <laughs> and you want all the ingredients to taste delicious. So that's part of the role too. Um, the production, once you're there, it is a lot of the heavy work is done before. So you're having to do like a shot list. You're having to like articulate exactly what you need to shoot, the ratios, the, the mood, the compositions, the lighting, everything. So you're really thinking about every minutiae detail pre-shoot. Then when you're on set, it's sort of like an orchestra has happened. The, the, the music is starting to play and everyone has their role and we're conducting and we're trying to figure out how to make this work. And at that point, it's a little bit more for me, for my role, I tend to, to pull back. And by doing so, I'm hoping that the people that I've chosen to bring into this delicious soup have the opportunity to express themselves and be creative. And I'm there to help guide, but I really want people to feel empowered to create their best work. So that's happening. Meanwhile, I'm behind the scenes making sure that we're actually getting to the deliverables because this is a lot of money being invested into this into the shoot. 
So it is extremely um, intuitive in terms of like understanding your role as to how to best give people the greatest amount of creativity to work, the greatest amount of autonomy um, to create their best and also to know that you have a, an actual brand that you need to, uh, a point of view you need to stick to or a um, actual deliverable that needs to be met. So there's this like kind of fine dance that you're doing. Mm. And then of course you go into post, which is another month or so of hard work with retouching or the actual making of these assets and where they go. So there's a, it's very, very intense. Yeah. I can't even imagine all the work that needs to go into something like that. Um, and we just, when we flip a magazine over, we never really oh my gosh. consider that's why, you know, I, I know I've mentioned this on the, on the pod before, but when I watch a film, mm-hmm. I will, I will always watch the credits because oh gosh, I feel yes. that, I need like some part of me needs to see all of the people who just made this incredible thing that I just watched. There's hundreds of people. Hundreds. And it, it's it's far more in depth than a magazine, truthfully. Like it's a, it's it's similar in that it is a large amount of collaboration to make something happen, but it is at a very very larger scale and more uh investment in terms of m- money and budget for sure. Mm. I'd love to know what, you know, this time in life, if you're going to reflect back on on your time um, at Aldo and all of this, you know, these big projects and fast pace, um, what made you grow the most during this time? I think it was, um, that's a difficult question. There's very many things that I grew from there. I understood Um, more about the process. So it was a really good school for me. So that was number one from a professional standpoint. But from a personal standpoint, I think what I learned was, um, wow, that's a hard one to (laughs) articulate. But let's say that I understood that I needed to really take care of myself as a creative to make sure that my energy was and and output was respected. So it was, the scale of it is quite large. So it is a very heavy lifting from an energetic standpoint, like the actual work itself. So it was very hard to maintain balance. So the big learning there was how to do this without burning out, Um, oopsie, I did burn out. How do you restore yourself? How do you respect your creative capacity? Those big lessons were learned at that point. Also, I think when you're there and it was a different time, absolutely, completely like in context, complete different time for me, it was so exciting and I couldn't believe I was a part of it. And you were really wrapped up with that hype, but I don't think personally I was as fulfilled. So I think that there was a moment where I needed to find a way to maybe get back in touch with my own purpose, um, find better ways to restore myself so that I could be creative and not feel depleted and also give back. So there was a lot of personal lessons that came into that or like how to not come out of integrity when in, in work, um, you know, that was a big one. Yeah. 
like recreating space for yourself. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I really needed to create space for myself. Mm. And um, and you did it. I did. <laughs> Ta-da. Ta-da. Yeah, you've just had such a an incredible career because after that you went over to Kitten Ace. Yes. You got a call from Shauna Olston. Yeah. Yes. Good friend of, of mine. And um, you spent some time there, about a year and a half as their creative mm. director. That's right. And then you went out on your own. Absolutely. So that was a really wonderful experience too. So I needed to come back to Vancouver at some point. I'd been in, in excuse me, Montreal for a decade. And I remember the West Coast being very calm. Um, and I love the energy of Montreal. I will always love the energy of Montreal. But at the time, I needed to find that restoration that I'm just, just talking about. So Kit and Ace arrived. That was such a wonderful experience. Uh, definitely another place where I learned a lot of lessons. Uh, a great team of people, wonderful humans. And when that ended, I really wanted to start something different. I wanted to really look at the processes in which I create work and change the way I worked, change the clients I worked with and who I would give my creativity to. So it just seemed natural for me to start something new. And I didn't, I didn't want to work anymore with a in-house. I didn't want to work in an agency. I didn't want to go into that corporate landscape anymore. It wasn't, uh, wasn't working for me. So I started uh, a very modest and small studio with a ton of love <laughs> called Super Bonjour because of my homage to Montreal. And I started it with my uh, best friend, Vanda, who lives in Montreal, and we met at Aldo. So there was just a serendipitous moment where we were both looking for something new and we decided to partner up as a duo and start super bonjour about five years ago congrats thanks five years <laughs> yeah i know right who yeah knew? who knew right Fine. when when that time passes you're like even with this pod i'm like has it been like two almost two and a half years already crazy wow um but i do want to talk about your creative process um particularly like your own mm -hmm. um you'd mentioned to me that you do a type of brand therapy with mm -hmm. clients so that you take them mm -hmm. on a journey. I'd love to know more about this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I think all the experiences I've had in the past and, and working with different agencies and uh, brands, I developed a good sense of like what, how to make a brand and how to, how to work with creatives. It wasn't always the healthiest way. It wasn't always the honest way or the most authentic way. And I really had a deep look at that to think what could be, what was a different way in which we could create this, create work. And I think what we did, well, Vanda and I was during COVID, so we really had a lot of time to think about things. And we we're like, let's switch this up and, and switch out the process. And we realized that one of our greatest skills is empathy and we wanted to weave that into the process. So what we wanted to do was create an opportunity for us and the collaborator, us and the client to really have really deep strategic conversations around how they want to show up, how they want to be seen and really listen. 
the idea around that is to really immerse ourselves in the reality of the client and present back to them the mirror of what they what they've shared with us. So sometimes we find that clients have like, you know, maybe a preconceived notion of this is how I want to show up, this is how I want to look. And what we want to do is show them different possibilities of what else could it be. So it's almost like I don't know, it's like I'm like a translator of their of their vision. So it's my it's through my point of view um, which makes it unique, but through a lot of deep conversations and work, we can try to create more a more unique positioning offer for them. So where do they want to sit? So that way the unique aspect of it really makes them shine. So it's not necessarily about belonging to a set of codes. So it's more about being seen as who they truly are in an honest way. So the brand therapy is a, a bunch of workshops that we work with clients to really understand them best and to help them see themselves in the best light possible. So it's really about finding what makes them shine mm. and and creating that space for that. Yeah. Mm, I love that. I love that so much that, you know, everyone wants to be seen, but that's it's really beautiful to also apply it to like client work. Mm-hmm, yeah, because there's a lot of guesswork that can happen, um, mm. interpretations. Uh, assumptions and it's still part of that process like that doesn't go away you're still trying to interpret something but that clarity is really where where it's at and I think clarity is kindness and I think that what we're trying to do is create a different way in which to approach our work Mm. you had also mentioned too that when you're centered and you're grounded and you're you're calm you receive creativity best that way and when you were describing it to me the other day I'm like oh it's like it's you're channeling something oh my goodness (laughs) you know it okay I have to actually get grounded to to speak about this um I really think for me this is for me specifically I think that um creativity for me is a, a skill in awareness I'm really observing what's around me I'm listening to what you're saying and um, I have to be grounded in order to receive. I think that everyone is creative. Everyone has the ability to be creative. I think that in order for me to receive an idea or to have clarity, I need to be still. So that gives me, you know, through my breath, calming down, getting grounded, attuning, allows me to really get clear so that I can do my job properly so that I can actually understand what that other person needs and also for me to understand what does that look like so I guess it's like just being able to find a creative mindset that allows me to be extremely sensitive to what's around me and the creativity Mm. that I can actually uh, find so it's really about being very still and quiet giving myself the space to actually think about things. And in order to do that, I have to ground. So I use meditation practice in order to feel um, more attuned to the person I'm working with, the client I'm working with. And also for me, truly, to be able to be extremely, which is more heightened and more sensitive to understanding the nuances around what I'm creating. Mm, That's so lovely. How has your passion for spirituality and breath work and and 
the mystical, how, how has it made you a better person in your own life? I think what it's helped me do is to understand my wholeness and the interconnection of everything. So for me, what it's helped me see is um, it kind of goes from I to we when I'm in this space. So I'm seeing more of a life-centered approach. I'm thinking about humans. I'm thinking about non-humans. I'm thinking about the planet. That's what happens to me when I'm engaged in spiritual practices that I love and respect. It helps me understand the world in a better, more connected connected point of view. So it's very, very integral for me to keep that um, part of me alive. And um, it helps guide me so that I'm very much in integrity while I'm at work or while I'm like having a cup of coffee or talking to you, May. Like it's really about that connection. So important to me. So I think that those tools have really helped me understand my place in the world and how much big it is yeah how important it is to really be as human as possible and you know embrace all those imperfect flaws etc etc but to really understand that we're all connected yeah all of that all of what you said I mean I I resonate so much with with that I I feel that um I very much view life and others and being in connection with others in a very similar way um how do you, what are your thoughts on how we could live more joyfully and, um, yeah, more joyfully as conscious and connected humans, particularly when we're in such a capitalist society? I think that there's a real value in going back to understanding the implications of care. Um, what does that look like? What does care look like in our society? How can we, how can we gravitate towards that in a more sustainable way? So flipping out things like scarcity for abundance is really interesting for me. I think it's really cool to think about the economy of care. How do you, how do you see yourself in the world? How do you collaborate with humans? How do you uh, walk softly in the forest, as my teacher hero would say? I think that there's also a sense of, you know, playfulness and joy in terms of like even what I do and create, I think of it through color and shapes and putting that out there in the world. It really can affect, you know, your mental state or your, the joy in which you want to experience. So when I'm thinking about um, things that I interact with, like objects, spaces, you know, injecting them with with peaceful, colorful, vibrant colors will affect your mood. Round shapes, um, playful interactions, surprises. So I think about joy being like, well, one of my roles is to be, a, is a, I mean, I'm a designer and I create worlds. So I really want to make those playful, joyful worlds for people to interact with. So I think more of that, like you know, who wants to work in a cubicle? Yeah. <laughs> you know, or like brutalist architecture has its place for sure. And modern art has its place. But there is so much more vibrancy and diversity in nature and in the way that other people 
perceive the world that creates more joy in play. Mm. So it's really allowing for multiple points of view. It's allowing for the space for people to be expressive. That creates joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that also it's not a solo operation. <laughs> you know, it's not an individualistic uh, expression. I think it's a collective expression. So mm. allowing for everyone to like have their place and 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 uh, allow joy to be present in their life. Everyone deserves that, right? Everybody, everybody deserves that for sure. I'm thinking about what you're saying. You said about the shapes in, in the world, like who wants to to work in a cubicle. And I've been thinking a lot about there's um this this AI uh, artist and he does these beautiful interiors and he. I think his name is Andreas Reisinger and he uses a lot of circles in Mm -hmm. there and I'm finding myself really drawn to circles Mm -hmm. lately and I don't know what that that is but even in in my sound therapy branding Oto O-T-O like and I loved it I loved the circles um yeah anyways I'm just thinking about um shapes that bring me joy and happiness or elicit uh some kind of connection in me and right now the circle is that's so wonderful and it's interesting too because you so it's you right so it's what mm-hmm. you find beautiful and joyful yes it's not what is expected of you so sometimes I find like even the wellness space has a specific set of codes to look a certain way to fit in right but maybe those aren't joyful for everyone so it's really about finding what's right for you and using that to express yourself in an authentic way. Mm-hmm. So breaking free from sometimes like the stagnation, stagnate, I can't pronounce that word. You know what I'm talking about. Stagnation. There you go, girl. <laughs> stagnation. <laughs> I will get it eventually. Of a specific, like, I don't know, set of visual patterns or codes that are expected of a certain industry. Like you can just do you, boo. Like that is my mm-hmm. advice for you. <laughs> yeah. Only way to live. Only way to live. Really? Do you feel like an artist? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I've always felt like that. And even working in commercial spaces, as I do, I still feel that, you know, art, art and creativity are every day for me. It is just the way in which I, the way I am in the world. Yeah. Hmm. You had mentioned earlier in the conversation about um, observing the world, really being interested in the cultural zeitgeist <laughs> yeah <laughs> what in what are you seeing in culture right now that's fascinating you oh goodness it's a I think what's happening right now is it's it's a little dark right now as you know so I think that the next step I think is going to be pushing past that so I often find that pushing past those more negative places and seeing what's possible is really where the creativity and the trends can be. So you can, you got to get to the next level. And I think that that hasn't happened yet. I think we're still working on that and still trying to figure out the right way in which to be seen in the, in the world right now. So it's not a super inspiring place right now. I don't find unfortunately, but I think that because of that, it will bring inspiration. And I think new things are about to start. I don't know if it's completely like we're not in that place yet, 
but I'm very excited to see what's what's new. Like mm-hmm. I know it's like it's we're on it. We're on the cusp. Yeah, there's a rumbling. I there's think. definitely a rumbling and I think people are really shaking things up. I think people are really like seeing things for what they are. I think there's a real honesty and vulnerability that's happening and I think that that's a magical place to be and I cannot wait to see what's happening, what's going to happen, but mm-hmm. I think that right now we're still like just post COVID. I mean, it's still COVID, right? Everything feels so sticky still, you know, like Uh, within you, in the world, you're like, oh, how are we like navigating through this goo right now? Mm, I know. So I think that the inspiration will come from that Mm. for sure. I'm just waiting. Mm. I can't wait to see it emerge. It's it's time. Yeah, it's time. (laughs) You were uh, telling me the other day that, you know, you are hoping to eventually have this, this space, a space that's rejuvenating and cathartic for you and other people and and clients. When you close your eyes, what does this space look like? Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. What does it look like? It's still a mystery to me. I can tell you what it feels like. I am definitely an emotional feely person, but ideally I often think about working and collaborating in a very safe, warm space without, um, you know, the pressures of everyday corporate environments, um, it's very unnatural to me. So it's really about a space that makes you feel more connected to who you are and being able to create from that space. So sometimes I think about it as it's unattainable. Like it feels like magic thinking in a lot of ways because it's like, how do you get to it, this utopic place, given that that's Does it exist? Does Does it really exist, exist, people? (laughs) I don't know, but I certainly think that there is a possibility to create a space where people feel invited and welcomed and warm and can let down their masks, can let down their walls and really get real. And during that, that would give you the opportunity to find out what what do you want to create? How do you want to build this? Um, What pace makes sense for you? you know do we need to rush this urgency situation is that really like where we're at right now like let's get real (laughs) so the space I think would be conducive to real honest conversations and also um, allow everyone to feel mm, including myself the ability to create with ease Mm. so I've often thought about what does that look like? Um, my younger self would have thought of it as a retreat or a healing center. And now I think about it as more of like an art project or a theory, or I think about it as potentially even a way in which I work and work with people and clients. And maybe that's enough, you know, Mm. maybe that space is just the space in which is like, people are invited to work with me and that's okay too. Oh, I love that. Yeah. There's all kinds of space. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm, I, I can't mean, wait to see this trippy here. here but we like... are. No, I love this. Let's go trippy. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that there's just a better way to work. And I think there's a better way to live. And I'm very curious about that. Mm. I love, I'd love to try. That is why I'm a creative person. Let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. Right? Yeah, no, I, I get it. Why not? Why not take the chance? Just do it. 
If you it doesn't do. If it doesn't work, you know, yeah, you might feel a way about it for a while. <laughs> sure. But sure, sure, sure. you know, you'll never have the regret and you you'd have pushed yourself a little bit more. You'd have grown yeah. a little bit more. You know, I'm just like so in love with everyone I work with. I love um seeing creatives flourish. I love seeing clients feel seen. Um, it's so rewarding to me. And having a place to facilitate that is a dream. And it mm. could be a reality, let's face it. Right. So that's where that space comes from. You mm-hmm. know, I think mm-hmm. for me at one time when I was going through burnout, I really wished that that space existed for me. And I really wished that the the office jobs that I had um, had that opportunity to just give creatives a break. <laughs> Let's face it, just needed a break. And that's where that came from. And I think after doing lots of work, it's just conti- it just continuously evolves this idea. So maybe that's the journey on its own. It's just an evolution that keeps um, popping up and reminding me to um, stay connected, you know, mm-hmm. to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I just I noticed um, if I'm thinking back on all of your stories, you've always known when to take space. You know, yeah. like, I mean, sometimes it reached the point of burnout, but like then you were like, no, I got to take the space or I got to go. Whereas I feel like a lot of people just be like, no, I'm just going to push through this. Like, it's okay. And yeah. it's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay. But you know, your body tells you too. Like mm-hmm. my mind was like, you have to keep working, Rihanna. My self-worth was completely wrapped up in my identity around work. And at some point my body was like, are you sure? I don't think so. Here's a SmackDown. Mm. Check this out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I ha- I can't do this. Like my body won't let me. Yeah. It's telling me. It's It'll listening to your body. always tell you. Always. And that's when the breaks happen. So I do have to really think about, I really have to be aware and not push through because it's just not sustainable. No, it's not. And it's actually, thank you for telling me that because I've often not thought of myself as someone who takes breaks. I've never thought of myself as doing that because I just feel so much, I felt so much um, pressure to, to work and work at a, a pace that was completely outrageous. And I thought that that was the way to be, you know, that I would receive more love and I would be more worthy the more I worked. The higher I got, the more jobs I got, the better photographers I worked with. I thought that was it, right? Yeah. And at some point you're like, yeah, no, that's not that's not it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I feel like you've you've known when to, to take breaks and and sometimes it's not even on that that bigger level. But I've been um, really trying to be better to continue being better with listening to my body. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I go to the gym three to four times a week, for example. And there are some days where I just, I get up and my body does not want to do it. And I think of all the times, years I forced myself to just go. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm a little bit better of saying, no, mm-hmm. the body doesn't want this today. I'm going to honor that. Maybe there's a different way of moving today. Absolutely. I hear you on that. I do think that for a long time, I think I had a really unhealthy relationship with my body and pushing myself 
it was more of a punishment. Like, you're not doing enough, Rihanna. Keep going. You need to go to the gym because, you know, you're going to go on set with <laughs> this hot model. Like, come on. You know, all those crazy pressures that you put on yourself as a, as a woman. And at some point that just stopped. Mm-hmm. And it became what's nourishing for me. And maybe it is not going to the gym. Maybe it is. It's a different energy, different point of view. I love that that happened for me. I also think that rest is rest is rad. Like rest is <laughs> being a badass. I'm a little bit of a badass. I swear a lot. I, hope, I don't know how many times I swore in this podcast. Maybe none, which is quite remarkable. But I've always been a little bit of a rebel. I will stick, uh, you know, the the stick in the honeybee whatever it's called a wasp nest I will be provocative at times and for me at one point I was like you know what's really provocative chilling out Mm. resting (laughs) taking away that urge to be urgent Mm. that was to me how I could express myself in a more rebellious way and I always talk about the fact that I like zigging when everyone's zagging I think that that's very difficult to do because it is such a pressure everyone is doing the same thing and we really want to belong 100% because we're social beings but there's some point where maybe we're zigging the wrong way or maybe Mm. or maybe not like you know what's right or wrong I don't even know but for me I have to go a different route Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah I feel that too yeah that just kind of like marching to your own beat like Mm -hmm. just gonna gonna go this way somewhat some people may not like it, but the That's right okay. people, the Absolutely. right people will. I'm wondering, you know, you're talking about um, feeling like you need to keep working. Mm-hmm. Are you doing enough? I'm wondering, do you think it's, I'm wondering if it's tied to what you said about your your grandfather and how he mm. saved all that money. Yeah. There's a little pressure around that. I mean, they work so hard. Um Oh gosh, I'm probably going to tear up. It was, they were just such a delightful, <sighs> delightful uh, caretakers for me. And they worked so hard because they had to, right? That was the only way in which that they could live. And they came from nothing. So you want to, I really wanted to honor that. And I really wanted to honor the their ancestors, everybody, like it was just so much pressure. I felt a lot of pressure for me as a child because I saw it. I, it wasn't easy and you could see it. And that, and I think also just like straight up society and the urgency and productivity culture that we subscribe to was just a reality. But yeah, I mean, my grandparents work so hard. <laughs> They until the very bitter end. And so I think that there was a big sense of respect for their hard work that I wanted to uh, honor. Mm. Yeah. I'm sure they're so proud of you, I mean, wherever they are. I was the first person to go to school, right? Nobody went to school. Mm-hmm. Nobody had education. People barely, my parent, grandparents didn't speak English, couldn't read or write. They're illiterate. And I was the first person. They're like, you're the chosen one. Yeah. <laughs> Go young Jedi. And it was a lot, but I'm mm-hmm. so grateful. Mm. So grateful. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and I feel like if you have a tight relationship with your grandparents, it's an you're, it's another kind of magic. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. Very yeah. lucky. I, lo- I loved my grandparents very much. And so, yeah, I, I feel I feel that. Well, just a few more questions for you. Second to last question. Um, 
What does it feel like in your body when you're fully expressed? Like when the Rihanna at work and the Rihanna being her truest self, you know, the side that may not always um, be expressed at Super Bonjour, when those things are completely aligned, what does that feel like? It feels like jumping into the ballroom as a child it feels like you know what I'm talking about remember mm-hmm. the ballroom Ikea. <laughs> okay like forget about all the like weird germs and stuff about it but at the time <laughs> it was like it feels like absolutely jump or jumping into a beautiful pool full of champagne and you're you're a bubble and you're just exploding with exuberance and you have no sense of time it feels like both the most exuberant, playful, colorful burst. And also it feels completely calm too. It's a sense of, of knowing. It's a sense of being very grounded. It's a sense of ease, peace. That also is part of it. So it's both exciting and like a burst of energy and also completely calm. Mm. That's when I know I'm rocking it. And I have no idea what time it is and I don't want it to stop. And it's a different energy from being like overworked from a self lack of self-worth or like need to perform. It's a completely different energy. You're still working nonstop, but you are in such abandonment and flow that it's, it feels like you could keep going and everything's possible. Mm. It's so energetic and it feels like, like your heart is completely bursting the emotions are, I can't even articulate it. I just know that in my body, I feel so warm and cared for and ex- exuberant, mm. effervescent, effervescent. I feel effervescent. Mm. I Maybe love that like word. A, like a lacroix. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or a buble. Or a buble, depending. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Yeah, that heart expansion where right. you're just like, I can't stop this feeling. (laughs) Oh my gosh. On set, when I'm loving life, I am dancing. I am singing. I am high-fiving everyone. I do not work like normal human beings, I don't think. It is a party. Like I want people to feel so freaking happy and full of love and joy too while they're working. And I want that environment for everyone. That's how I am. I'm just, I'm a free, just like the girl, little girl roaming around in my grandparents' farm picking up. Um, ladybugs in the cornfield. I am that girl still on set when things are aligned and I feel seen and everyone else is, is also feeling good about themselves. The mm. same, it's the same vibe. Mm, such a beautiful image. I love that. Well, my final question. With what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? The question I ask everybody. You ask everyone this question. <laughs> what a hard question. What do I want to leave behind for the world? I've, I want everyone to feel seen and have the sense of ease and everyone to feel the joy that they deserve. I just would love that for every human being. Mm. Well, you're spreading that joy, just being you. Thank you so much for being here. May you're the best. (laughs) If people want to connect with you or the agency, where shall they go? Absolutely. You can go to www.superbonjour.com or you can find us on Instagram as well, which is 
at super underscore bonjour. Um, you can find me at Brianna time because it's like hammer time, but not. <laughs> <laughs> hammer time. And hammer. Hammer. Yeah. Yeah, you can find us. Yeah, Super Bonjour is the name of the agency, and I go by Rihanna Time. I love it. Thank you so much for being Thank here. You. Thank you for being such a light, and maybe a sabbatical in LA. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Right. Okay. I would love it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm here for it. Okay. Let's seriously. Talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. As always, thank you for being here and for listening. To learn more about today's guest, visit the episode page for show notes and links on wearethecraft.com. You can find the entire podcast archive here or explore more conversations with past guests on Spotify and Apple. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on these platforms, including YouTube, to get notified when new episodes drop. Any likes and shares on social media are deeply appreciated too. Sound and audio engineering for the show are by Andrew and Jaba Gaspis. All guest portraits and images are by Juno Kim. Appreciate you all and see you again soon. <laughs>